Coming up, Australia have qualified for the 2022 FIFA World Cup. That's right. I don't know how they've done it. I don't know what they're going to do at this World Cup. This team has just overnight become this bonkers team, a national sensation maybe in a way, and one man in particular has become a national sensation, Andrew Redmayne, the Grey Wiggle himself. We'll talk about him. We'll talk Graham Arnold, all of it coming up very shortly. I'll be joined by FPF writers Antonis Pagonis, Sharnen, Cody Ajada. We're going to talk immediate reactions from the game, big takeaways from Socceroos side of things. We're going to talk a little bit about Peru. Jeez, were they bad in this game, in my opinion, anyway. Talk a little bit about them, and then I'm going to talk with Antonis and Cody about some big questions surrounding the Socceroos heading into this World Cup. I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and that is coming up right after this. Okay, so we're taping this podcast at about 9 p.m. Eastern time on a Thursday night. And we are what? About, let me think, about 60 hours removed, I think, from from the crazy game that we saw. All of us on Tuesday morning, Australia have qualified for the 22. Yes, that's right. Australia have qualified for the 2022 Fifth World Cup after beating Peru. In a penalty shootout, 5-4. Nil all after extra time. Crazy game. Look, I think we're just going to jump straight into it. Now, we're two days removed, so we're not going to get, I guess, immediate, immediate reactions. But what's the what's the feeling um, going around? I am joined today. Just completely forgot to introduce the people who are with me on this podcast today. Jesus. Bad, bad hosting. Anyway, joining me today are front page football writers, Antonis Pagonis, Sharnen, uh, and Cody Ajada. Boys, first of all, how are we? Excellent, man. That's good. Antonis, how are we? Yeah, good. Actually got some sleep since Tuesday, so. <laughs> all right. And uh, Sean, yeah. how are you, man? Yeah, I'm doing good too. I don't think I've actually slept since uh, the Socceroos made it, so I'm still running on those vibes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's just been crazy um i went into uh i just i just went into the first day that tuesday was just you know what let's forget about the group stages and november let's just enjoy it let's just enjoy it for a good 24 hours you know forget about any arnold talk forget about any this that the other um just i'm just gonna enjoy it um and then i proceeded to make all my social media profile pics andrew redman celebrating because it's just it's just you know you know why not why not really <laughs> so yeah but uh let's let's go around so my kind of immediate reaction or, or two days removed reaction to to what happened um just i was actually to be honest and i'm not i'm not saying this to really downplay anything uh from Graham Arnold or australia or anything like that but i i was really stunned uh particularly even all the way into extra time just how bad peru were in this game in my opinion um and I was, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but when you actually go through their qualifying campaign and, and the results and even the losses that they've had, um, they've all been tight. 
you know, they, there's been no games where they've really got thrashed and they've won a lot of games very comfortably as well. Uh, it was just bizarre um, the way they played. No real bravery, no courage. Uh, you almost felt like Australia at times had the 12,000 fans in the stadium and not Peru, uh, which was strange to me as well. But um, Antonis, I'll start with you. What what was your takeaway, uh, main takeaway from that game? Oh, the Aussie DNA prevails <laughs> since that's all we've been talking about the last week. Well, it's like you said, they're, they've made it through to the qualifying stages and they're actually the 22nd best side ranked in the world. Mm. So we weren't supposed to give them a challenge. And especially from what I said, I don't know if you've seen the discourse over in Peru, them saying, oh, they're a basic side. They've got one good player. He plays for, he plays for um, Frankfurt. That's a, yeah, a debatable thing as we've talked about in the past. But that's, that's, we the, were, that's the Ramon, the Ramon Mifflin yes, slander that, exactly. that went that went ballistic on uh, on social media. Mm-hmm. And then I saw someone, I saw someone say, "You can't talk because uh, Mifflin was the last name named after a paper company, paper <laughs> supply company." <laughs> but you know, like they didn't feel we were going to give them a challenge. And as you said, we more than matched them, and we could have, they could have won it in ninety, we could have won it in ninety. But after that, it just felt. Like we're going to penalties and mm. it went our way. And it's fantastic because the game in this country really, really needs it. And there's, we're not perfect. There's still a lot of problems. But I think the conversation of, oh, we need this World Cup off to get a wake up call. I think we're all aware that we need a wake up call and we are much better for making the World Cup. Did you, did you almost feel like the way it happened? was actually even better because then, I mean, even this morning, um, I was watching Sunrise this morning and you had Andrew Redman was still, you know, he was on there getting an interview and you had all of this, you know, it just kind of kept on going because it was the theatrics of it and, and, and the gray wiggle and the, and the, and the throwing the proving keepers water bottle away and all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny? We went from a week ago from that article from that guy going, who are these people to, the third goalkeeper of Australia being the most popular person in the country. That was the, that was the, uh, the article in the Australian. Is that, yeah, is that right? That's it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's gone a long way, but that's what happens when you qualify for a world cup. And it's very important because with the expanded world cup coming in and Asia having eight spots, I hope we're not in a similar situation anytime soon fighting for our lives to qualify. Yeah. So it's yeah. probably like an end of an era of us, qualifying in those circumstances so it was like a good last hurrah which we should have never been there but it's an iconic moment like another one of these moments that kids wake up to and watch and you see them recreate at school talk about this and it's such an australian story this underdog that shouldn't even be in the squad as i let you know very clearly (laughs) somehow gets on and is suddenly a household name for years (laughs) to come it's fantastic. Cody, what about you? I'm still buzzing, in all honesty. Like, even if you can talk about Peru, maybe not being at their best, but if you look internally, I think a lot of people say, and it's something that I, it's a sentiment that I share, that's probably the best I've seen us play under Graham Arnold. I don't know how you guys feel about that statement, but um, look, in terms of the occasion, performance we put on, it definitely wasn't a perfect performance, but I'd say that's at the very least up there with the best we've played in the Arnold era. I would say, 
I wouldn't say in terms of complete performance because I think the lack of connectivity from midfield third to attacking third was really, yeah, really poor in my opinion. I have to say about Australia, but the defensive stuff was excellent. The control actually of the game, I felt against a good team, you know, Peru, they might've had a really off day, but they are a good team. So there's that. And I think more than anything, when I watched this game was I actually, for, for once, I just felt like there was some personality about this Arnold team. Like it was just a bit more like you could actually sense that some of the things he was saying before the game and some of his quotes leading up to it were actually resonating with the way they were playing um, in terms of just not backing down and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we'll cope with anything they throw at us and, and this, that, and the other. And we'll talk, yeah, uh, a bit more maybe later about, about Arnold and some of the key components of that. Uh, but Shannon, we'll go to you now. And you've got, uh, what's that? Six Socceroos jerseys I can see, including one on <laughs> right now in this video as well. So, uh, you know, uh, take it away with the uh, <laughs> with what I'm sure are going to be positive comments. <laughs> yeah, the thing that really sticks out to me about this match from the Socceroos was one word. And just for me, it's bravery. There was bravery all across the pitch from Aaron Moy, who hadn't played football pretty much since January putting in a 90 the other day against UAE and then 120 minutes here, just completely controlling the midfield. That's brave. Bailey Wright and Kai Rolls absolutely putting everything at every ball, just putting their body on the line. Jackson Irvine running until he literally couldn't anymore, as is Bayich. Graham Arnold making the brave decision to bring on Andrew Redmayne and, of course, Andrew Redmayne's antics. And that's what it takes to qualify for a World Cup, in my opinion, is bravery. And... You know, we talk about the Aussie DNA and this and that, but, you know, if, if this is the Aussie DNA showing that much bravery, that's what we need and that's what we need to win games and get to World Cups. So overall, I couldn't be more satisfied with how the team played. I, I'm going to dedicate like five to 10 minutes, I reckon, later just on Kai Rolls. Um, so <laughs> he, he might just be like my favorite <laughs> young Australian player right now. Honestly, that guy, he is just so, when you think he was like, what, it was two years ago that he was at the raw and he was virtually a nobody. And yeah. And now he's like this, this young up and coming guy signed for hearts and, and just the composure and, and yeah, I'll maybe talk about it a bit later, but he was, he was unbelievable in my opinion. Um, Let's talk about Redman. Yeah, let's talk about Redman. Um, and the whole Redman situation. Let's, you know what? Let's go around now. I know Antonis's reaction to, to when to when the camera panned Andrew Redman on the side, and my reaction was similar. Um, and they were both of, oh my god, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> At that sort of uh, region, but um, Cody. Uh, Shannon, what uh, what was the feeling uh, when you were watching this? At uh, that would have been around what, probably six o'clock your time in the morning, <laughs> after two hours of that, and then seeing seeing something crazy like that. But uh, yeah, Cody, um, your thoughts? Yeah, probably closer to six thirty. But I saw him pan across my screen, and I was I remember talking to Shannon during the game, and he was sitting there saying he's going to change his goalkeeper before he changes his midfield. And oh, that was me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, red hands coming on. But um, honestly, my first reaction when I saw it, I guess I was just that kind of into the game. I was my first thought was, I just hope this works. Mm. Yeah, you, whether you yeah. agree or disagree with it, at the end of the day, you want to go to a World Cup. I see Redman coming on. It's just like you know, look, as long as it works, I don't 
care really. Like, but um, yeah, he comes on, he does what he's known for doing. We've all seen it before. He's done it on the world stage, and it's almost put in a way. He's kind of put the A League on the map as well because people have got to say, "Oh yeah, he's done this, these antics before in his domestic competition." I think that's something good for the domestic game as well. Seeing what we can do, there'll be people maybe right around the world trying to recreate that almost. Well, it's it's, it's excellent PR for him as well because I think he's he, he can now use this to cover up what was probably his worst Sydney FC season in in quite a few years. So you know that's 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 perfect. That's what I mean. Um, if you had asked me before the, the squad was announced, who what keepers I'd be taking, I'm not taking Redmayne. Yeah, I mean it's um, yeah, I agree, I agree. I don't think yeah, many would have, and I think there was. I think Antonis has his opinion of, you know, you're picking your mate sort of thing, um, which potentially that's the case. Uh, look, there's no doubting. When when he was subbed in, I did think about the the Perth shootout uh, with Sydney and in 2019 at Optus Stadium. I just thought, and I thought about some other things and and some other occasions in which managers have done this. And usually it's it does seem to be a 50-50 split uh, in terms of the keeper is subbed in and he's got too much pressure maybe on him and then that actually kind of compiles to the fact that he, he loses focus in the shooter or you know he gets backed and it's it's a real team thing and it works out now the other thing about the red main thing the actual penalties themselves apart from the last one i don't really know <laughs> if if we can really say it was a great shootout from him the deciding penalty uh, it was a great save. It was a great save, definitely. But if I remember correctly, the first couple, I thought he was maybe a little bit slow to move, to actually dive. And the third one, and I was just talking about this with Antonis off air, but when they showed the replay, he looked like he was well off his line when he actually dived for it. Um, but look, you know, he got it done. He saved a decisive penalty. But it is interesting when you look back at it in retrospect, he didn't maybe have the best shootout or the shootout that um, was up to maybe what Arnold was expecting. But at the end of the day, you know, um, he, he got it done. He, he saved the decisive penalty. It was no Schwarzer levels, in my opinion. That's that's That can never be topped. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, Shannon, uh, your take on the whole, on the whole Redmayne saga. <laughs> I've been incredibly fortunate enough in my, you know, football career so far to have worked with a lot of very talented goalkeeper coaches all across from up to A-League to the National League level. And whenever I talk about penalty shootouts, they kind of tell me that it's almost like a game of psychological chess. And I think Andrew Redmayne psychologically got a lot of things right. From the moment even when his number was pulled up and Matt Ryan was taken off, straight away, that's putting in the Peruvian players' minds, okay, you know, this is something different. This may be threw him off guard. And then every little thing he did in the penalty shootout was planned and calculated from obviously his antics we talked about with the water bottle and the cheat sheet to the wiggles, you know, that's all common stuff. But even things he did with our players, for example, handing them the ball straight away so that the Peruvian goalkeeper couldn't interrupt their natural flow, Mm. ushering the Peruvian goalkeeper away so he couldn't play any mind games and the Socceroos boys could kind of get on with it as much as they could. And yeah, obviously his antics. So I think... You know, it, it goes to show that it was planned weeks ago and Andrew Redmayne did everything right to gain that 1% advantage, as Arnie says. And yeah, I, I think even though he didn't save one of the 
shot to hit the post, absolutely that was because of Andrew Redmayne's antics that he thought, you know, I got to hit it a bit harder. This is a taller goalkeeper. And he's just put that little bit of doubt in the Peruvian players' minds. And brilliant work by John Crawley, brilliant work by Graham Arnold, brilliant work by Andrew Redmayne. I think um, after the after the third penalty, that's when I felt that's when he had actually gotten in the heads. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I felt the first couple of penalties was a bit like, who's this idiot <laughs> from their point of view? Uh, you know, what, what the hell is he doing? You know, I'll just pick a side and whatever sort of thing and we'll ignore it. But then as soon as they missed one, then it felt like it shifted and it was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, now we've seen one of our guys miss it, hit the post, maybe you know, this guy's better than we think. And then, and then things change from there. But um, we have to talk about the celebration after the, the fifth, the fifth penalty that the save as well. Cause that's just, that, that was probably the moment. Cause look, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest here talking about Andrew Redmayne. I've never really been a fan of him, even as a goalkeeper. I, I always felt, you know, if look, he's actually had some, some fantastic games in that Sydney team when he did win points on his own. But I always felt if you put him in a situation where like maybe a Mark Birrigitte, where he's under pressure most games and he's having to be tested all the time, then maybe you would see a different, different outcome. I did, I did feel that with him, but, and then I agree. I I don't think he should have been in the squad. And I was worried about the standard that you set. If you do select players, even a third choice keeper, because I think that's the other thing here is that, okay, well, you know, you shouldn't be in the squad, but at the end of the day, he was a third-choice keeper. So is it that big of a deal? To an extent, I think it is because, you know, the stand that you said, every player in the squad should earn their spot. doesn't matter which kind of, you know, where they're playing or, or whatnot, this, that, and the other. So that's that's important. And so I was still a little bit, and then he, I, I didn't feel like the first four penalties, he, he'd done that well, and you're kind of thinking, oh, my God, Arnold fucked it up, this, that, and the other, what the fuck is going on, blah, 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 right? And then... And then he saves it. And then when he does that celebration, you're like, oh my God, I love this guy so much. <laughs> Can I just add on to that as well? Yeah. Because that was a fantastic moment. By all accounts, Redmayne's a top guy. And overall, I am so glad like he got his moment because whatever the rest of his career is, that's what he's going to be remembered for. Hmm. Rather than us, Adelaide fans, remembering him for being on the receiving end of the Pablo Sanchez 2016 goal. But that's besides the point. Back to this, for me, as I said, he shouldn't have been in the squad. But what I really, really didn't like, and it's come out after the game, and I'm sorry to be a party pooper, but it's just something I don't like. And it's fantastic that we made it. But for me, the MVP in this is Matt Ryan, who is our captain, one of our better players has been taken off without even being informed about it. And Redman and Arnold were talking after the game, the days after, and said, yeah, this has been a few weeks in the making, but obviously they hadn't, been, they hadn't told Matt Ryan yet. And Ryan just took it like an absolute champ, just ran straight off, wished Redman all the best. I just don't know what message it sends when you just sub off your captain without consulting him it worked out it was fantastic i do think matt ryan's a good penalty saver as well i think he could have done the job but you can't argue because those peruvians as we were talking before the recording i don't think they've ever seen anyone act like that on the goal line and you know he goes to their heads and one thing that Redmayne did in the last penalty he went walkabouts for a bit he just walked off for a bit 
let him have a think. How's this guy going to dance? Where is he going to go? What? You let him think for an extra 10, 15, 20 seconds. He gets, he said, and that penalty was bang average. But I think it's a lot of mental work. So it worked out in the end. But yeah, I think it could have been handled slightly better, but no one's going to remember that, are they? Yeah, yeah, Shannon, yeah. Just on that uh, Matt Ryan substitution, the reason I feel like he wasn't told is because if you're a goalkeeper and you're told before a crucial match, okay, we're not going to trust you to save the penalties or not so much not going to trust you, we're going to go with someone else, that might just take a little bit of confidence out of you and you might second-guess yourself and be hesitant. So I feel like that's the reasoning why, because goalkeeping is a lot about confidence for me. And Matty Ryan, the absolute leader and champion, come off, didn't make a hassle. He grabbed Redmayne before the penalties and said, you know, this is your moment, mate. Come and take it. And, you know, these are the leaders we need on the pitch. Matty Ryan, Bailey Wright, Jackson Irvine, all of them really stood up and were absolute leaders. And that moment might have given Redmayne that extra bit of confidence too. Yeah, I, he, he really did execute probably the, the perfect psychological goalkeeping shootout performance in my opinion and to do that being you know, a third choice keeper thrown in like that that is and impressive you, you can really i just yeah. say a few yeah. things i've heard well two weeks ago he was copying it for not being able to handle that triore shot against barcelona if you remember and then um john aloisi's come out um in the last few days saying when he was coaching him at melbourne Heart at the time he faced 10 penalties and didn't save one so just the transformation of going from like you can't get near it and I think at the Wanderers there was a similar penalty shootout in the Australia Cup didn't get close to any to go from that to being included into a national team squad as the specialist penalty taker that's like a story in itself isn't it yeah yeah Cody yeah I think one thing with Matty Ryan as well the way he handled himself being subbed off there's one thing I think that says about that. I think it says a lot about what the soccer is all about as well. So going back to that. What's the DNA? <laughs> no one in the team is bigger than anyone else. At the end of the day, the coach made a decision. The player moved on with it. We've seen people in Europe where they're being subbed off before a penalty shootout and they react completely different. But that's not what we're about in this country. It's all, it's about the team. We put the team first. I think yeah. that's something that we can take a lot of pride in, um, if I'm being honest. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think, um, you can't really question. I don't think you could have ever questioned either any of the teams under Ange, or even the teams under under Arnold. The the mentality in terms of never giving up the effort that's always been there, and that's why yeah you know, and I think that's actually why when things were going wrong under Arnold, people just easily gravitated towards him because they just think, well, players never don't give effort in a Socceroos shirt, and I, and I do think that's true. I think maybe if you had players you could think of maybe down the year maybe like a tom rogic has maybe been been criticized in the past for for potentially not you know giving as much as he does at club level you know you get these these odd ones here and there but you know shana mentioned it before with aaron moy like that was that was superhuman effort from him to, to do that for, for 120 minutes uh, me and antonis were just talking off air you know i think i Arnold might have thrown him under the bus for the last 30 <laughs> by asking him to run that out. But, um, you know, look, he, he, he kind of grinded away and he got it done. And, um, yeah, the, the mentality of the team is excellent. And I do think, look, Arnold, as much as I don't think he has 
the same sort of quality from from a tactical point of view and making shrewd adjustments either game to game or or being able to maybe unearth little tactical things here and there that maybe we saw under Ange. I do think the man management man management, sorry, piece with him is is very good. You know, when you listen to a lot of the players talk, they do say, you know, that they love Arnie, you know, they love being around the camp, this, that, and the other. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you look at the squad, a lot of these guys are stationed all around Europe. You know, not just in England, not just in Denmark or wherever. They are kind of all around Europe and then all around Asia, some of them as well. So then to come in for, you know, a two-week camp and 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 play like this and 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 mold was was very impressive and put in really probably the best the the best performance I felt under Arnold and and what was close to a complete performance. So yeah. Yeah uh, that, if, that's what I would say. Mm. If I can just go on to that because it's also you've got the struggle of COVID being a thing during this cycle. And mm. we found it even tougher than a lot of the countries because we basically couldn't play in our country for half the cycle, even more than half the cycle, let's be honest. And it did go pear-shaped late in our campaign when we didn't qualify automatically. And if you remember, Football Australia was under a lot of pressure with, are we going to take this guy, this coach, into the qualifiers against UAE? And then if we're lucky against Peru. So... Football Australia actually deserves a shout out for me as well because they have not always been consistent with that stuff. But for me, even though I'm not the biggest Graham Arnold fan, you made your bed years ago when you hired him for the cycle. You've got to back him. And under a lot of pressure, they backed their man and he got the job done. So see, Yeah, see, I, I agree. I, I don't know if it deserves like praise because I, I think, I just don't think you would ever really change it no matter how bad the coach is, would you really make such a sudden change for two? Pressure, pressure does crazy things to you. True, true. But, you know, I don't know if we're like reactionary as countries like, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> trying to think off the top of my head, like, you know, China, China or Greece and stuff who are like just, you know, result by result. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and stuff Greece like that. Catching yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I had to throw China in there because I didn't want to be like, you know, just just insult Greece because I know you're here. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, yeah. So, yeah, look, they could have easily made the decision and got rid of him. I don't think it maybe deserved as much praise as, as I've heard maybe Robbie Slater and some other types. Oh, no, no, afterwards. not yeah, much as that, no. Yeah, look, Can I, I just think... add with him? Mm. Okay, I get he's your mate and you want to go out and bat for him, but just because he's achieved something great does not mean he does not warrant criticism that he's fairly cop for months. You can play bad and still get a result. You can stuff up a qualification campaign and still qualify, it's still valid. There's still valid criticism there. Just just because he got us to a World Cup doesn't mean he's immune. We can all be happy. We can all celebrate it. But to go forward, we actually need to sit down and do what we're doing now and actually have a conversation about how we got to this spot. Mm. Well, let's let's have a quick little quick little look forward then. Cody, what are your initial thoughts looking at that group? Is it, oh my God, we're fucked or can we can we maybe snag a result here or there maybe a bit of both in all honesty um like the way i like to see it it's an opportunity we're going up against the world champions 
the third time we've had to do that at a World Cup in reality. It's a, it's revenge time from 2018. What a joke that game! I tell you, that was that was a we could have we could have won that game, that France game in 2018. Just, just quietly. 2018, we we played really well against them, and I think mm. if we bring that same hunger and desire into this game that we did last time. One thing about Graham Arnold before all the criticism he coughs, if there's one thing that he does really well and it's shown through the last few weeks, he's an excellent motivator. And going into a game against the likes of France, even the likes of Denmark, who's been in great form um, recently, semi-finals of the Euro, they're top, I'm pretty sure they're topping their group in the Nations League now, aren't they? But, um, France. No, um, Denmark. Denmark, yeah, I think so. Mm. Denmark. Yeah, Denmark, Denmark, I think you'll find, will probably be even stronger than they were in uh, 2018. Well, of course, we'll look how far they've improved since then. But if you've got someone like Graham Arnold instilling a belief in you that you can go and get a result from that game, I don't see why we can't. And you look at Tunisia, I've watched a few of their um, a bit, bits and pieces from them in the last couple of days just to see what we're going up against. I don't see them as any stronger than what Peru are in reality. So um, it's daunting. It's a big task. But by the same token, it's a big opportunity for us as well because if we go there, and we, if, even if we come third, even if we pick up a, just one win or a few points, we're going to we're going to put the world on notice. Like, oh, okay, these guys aren't just walkover. Yeah, Tunisia. See, the Tunisia and the Perus, this and the other, they can be strange. I feel because now, in the moment when we've come off that result, and then we go back and we look at the group, then we think, oh, you know, okay, well, look how bad Peru were, and then oh, Tunisia. Well, that can't be much better. But then. In five months' time, things will shift again. So we do have to be wary of this type of thinking. I think, look, I think Denmark have kind of gone to another level, and we saw that with the Euros in 2020 as well. So they are going to be, they are going to be there. They're going to be difficult to beat. And on paper, you would have to say it's France and Denmark to get out of the group. That's just that's just how it is. But um, yeah, unless anyone had any else to add on the on the immediate reaction side of things yeah cody uh with tunisia like i said i know i just said like they're probably not as good as Peru. they don't move the ball around as well at the end of the day they are in the world cup for a reason it's not mm. i don't we shouldn't be looking at it thinking oh yeah they're going to be pushed over because they're the other weak team in the group but like i said before it's an opportunity at the end of the day if we go there and we do get a result it's a good look for us mm-hmm. and can i just add that that win against Peru, you don't play, as Australia, you don't play Peru every day of the week, you know? You're used to playing those countries in Asia that you compete against regularly and you expect, oh, okay, I will beat these easier, they will beat these teams easy or we'll have a tough challenge against the Saudi Arabias, the Japans. But going into a game against Peru and matching it against one of the top 25 sides in the world, it kind of legitimizes that to ourselves. Like we go into the World Cup having that belief that yes, we can go and compete against those things. We can, even if we're not creating much, which really we didn't, at least you can make it hard for them to create against you. And having that self-belief is huge going into that World Cup. Shannon, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Yeah, just on the group, I think one thing a lot of people are forgetting about this France side compared to the one that we faced in 2018 is they now have, in my opinion, on form at least, the best player in the world back in their squad, fit and firing, Karim Benzema, which they didn't have at 2018, and they they won the fucking thing. So I think people for people to say, oh, they might get, you know, the 
world champion, you know, rot or whatever it's called, where they might play poorly. I think they're just forgetting how good Karim Benzema is. And he can pretty much single-handedly turn a game on its head himself. And for a lot of people to sort of write off, sort of write off Tunisia as a team that we're just gonna beat, I think they're forgetting that, you know, in a World Cup setting, anything can sort of happen. These are do or die matches, and they do have some quality players like Wabi Kazri, who mm. played in the Premier League not too long ago. But also the Qatari heat and humidity really suits them because you know they're from a country that pretty much has the exact same you know weather and everything so they're going to be tailor-made for this and i think they're going to surprise a few people like they nearly did in 2018 well yeah we've seen this before haven't we 2014 costa rica you know 2018 who was i guess even croatia you could say like that was just a huge run yeah they're probably better than maybe like a tunisia is now going into that tournament but it was still an unbelievable run so we see this all the time um and i just yeah that's why you just can't underestimate uh anyone but um let's get into some we'll we'll have a break soon but uh let's get into some big takeaways i guess from the game so talking about maybe the game more specifically now so the big takeaway one of the big takeaways for me was graham arnold i think and for me, I felt the first for the first time in this qualification campaign, we saw with the Redman decision to bring him on, but Arnold showed balls, in my opinion. So the way they approached the game was a bit more a bit more aggressive. You know, I was worried going into it. Are they gonna sit off? Are they gonna be scared of Peru? This, that, and the other. But from the start, you saw even like from the first kickoff, Peru played it back and straight away it was step up, get in their face, try and win the ball high, this, that, and the other. So for me, there was a tactical shift which was brought out from a mental shift. And that was good to see from an Australian point of view. And I think when they play like that, Arnold's teams, we saw with that Sydney team, when they get into a mood of basically just hounding you in your own half and and compressing you into spaces and to areas you don't want to play in, that's when they're really hard to play against. And that's that's been his forte for a few years. So I think that's if I'm him, I really should keep you know, nailing down that sort of that pressing identity and, and the and the never say die and the and the keep chasing and, and this, that and the other. Because for me that was once they found that early on, then they sort of stunned Peru a little bit. Peru were like, oh okay, crap, these guys are actually gonna they're not gonna let us play off in the back easily. This, that and the other. You know, and then they actually changed and then they started to go longer during the game, which was which was interesting. And then I think that even suited us more because physically we're better. So we could compete, win the first ball, second balls, this, that, and the other. But um, uh, yeah, did you guys see anything tactically in that game shift that you thought needs to be the hallmark for this team going forward and into the World Cup? Shannon, yeah. Over the past two games, I've noticed a bit of a tactical change with how Graham Arnold utilizes Jackson Irvine. And I think it's pretty much what has won us the match because... I don't know if you boys noticed it the way I did, but when we didn't have possession, Jackson Irvine would slot in as a centre-back. So we would essentially have a fake back five with Jackson Irvine alongside Kai Rolls and Bailey Wright. And then when we had the ball, he would move into a centre defensive midfield. So that allowed Aaron Moy and Aiden Krustic, who didn't really have a good game, if I'm honest, no, the freedom yeah. to kind of 
play their game the way they want without having to worry about tracking back as much, without having to worry about what happens if they make a bad pass or turn into a defender, having Jackson Irvine back there as cover. And I think that was a masterstroke by Graham Arnold and full credit to Jackson Irvine because, honestly, he was just everywhere that match. He was just running all over the place. And to have this fake back five like we did with Irvine, rolls and right, which on paper, a lot of people didn't really rate these three players. They really, really put in a massive colossal performance for me. Yeah, well, Irvine, I posed the question in when we did the preview podcast of if he was right now the most integral midfielder to to this team. And I felt the UAE game was more of an Irvine game, but this game I felt was the Moy game where he had a bit more... I, I, I actually said this, I think, in the last pod where I said this game might suit him more than UAE because in the moments when we do have possession and he slows it down like he likes to, that's actually going to be really suitable for us. Stop any Peruvian momentum, anything, you know, anything that's going to get those 12,000 fans going, this, that, and the other. You know, but simple as that. And he was really suitable with that. And then those few times in the first half where he was finding those passes actually that were breaking lines and taking their midfielders out just here and there, which were good. But then, like I was just touching on before, I just felt it was that last pass or even those last two passes where Australia were being let down. And there were probably two guys <laughs> who, who were really letting us down in that, in that sense. I, I just thought Mitch Duke and Matthew Leckie were... Yeah, it was it was really noticeable how much they just for me just just shouldn't be in there. Um, and the Goodwin selection, the Goodwin omission, was bizarre to me. Uh, I was really perplexed going into the game, and Antonis is <laughs> about to about to <laughs> come flying in with his own take. But yeah, it was just bizarre. I, I didn't get that. And yeah, I, I think I I think I said this. In the last pod too, I, I said I'm just concerned about some bizarre, you know, sudden change in the team or a sudden change in this, where Arnold might get in his own head or this, that, and the other, and and it did happen with with the with the Goodwin piece and Lecky was just, yeah, I just, you know, I, I could have, I just felt, I could have told you that when I I went to the grand final and I watched him from the side and most of the part he was on my side too and just watching him he just you know, he's taking that extra second longer to release the ball. He's just, obviously, it looks like he's lost a yard completely. Now, um, I think it was Advin Kula, yeah, the right back for Peru. He's mm. pretty strong. He's pretty physical. So it's not it's not an easy task, but there were just times where you just thought, yeah, okay, he's going to lose that 50-50. You know, he's, he, he's off it. Um, but Antonis, did you think 100% uh, Goodwin should have been I'll playing? I'll just yeah. start. Well, if you're going to be used the way Graham Arnold used him against the UAE, then probably don't use him at all, to be honest with you. We've seen Goodwin excel on the wing. We've seen him play very well in left back. And Graham Arnold used him somewhere in between in the UAE game, in like left centre mid kind of area. That's not Goodwin's game. It's just not. And of course, he's not going to be effective if you use him in a way that it's, he's not suited to. Same with Matthew Leckie when he's played up front. It's not his thing. Yeah, the the know? lecky up front thing has to be an experiment that stops like right now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not just that. It's you play him up front, you're setting him up to fail, and then you've got a midfield that just does not look for the ball, which forces us to just go long to Matthew Lecky. And spoiler alert, he's just 
not going to win that challenge. We saw that against, I was there at the Japan game um, uh, in Sydney, when all game long we're trying to bomb it long to Mitch Duke. It didn't work. So how did we adjust? We subbed on the huge frames of Jamie McLaren and Bruno Fornaroli, and we did the exact same thing. It doesn't work. And we criticized Peru about how they went about it. But one thing they did, they saw something didn't work. They tried to change it. They tried a different way. But for me, that's one thing we just don't do. We are, for good or for bad, we're very stubborn. That might be part of the Aussie DNA. But who knows? But for me, it's that midfield. The midfield does not look for the ball. We just completely skip over the midfield at times. It feels like we disregarded. Yeah, yeah. This game, I think, yeah, you mentioned this before, Antonis. There were so many occasions, and that's what I was mentioning before with Moy, where Hrustic, one thing I will say about him is sometimes he can go missing in games probably because he gets in good areas, but he doesn't get the ball in their pockets. You know, if he can get the ball in the pockets on the half turn, then that's when he can do his thing. And there were times when Moy would find him when Moy finds him and he does pick up that ball in that space, okay, now we're now we've got something going here. But for whatever reason, we start yeah, there were just times where we started to, okay, you know, they're pressing a little bit higher. Okay, let's panic and hit the ball on to Mitch Duke. Question mm-hmm. for question for Cody. Cody, how much longer does Mitch Duke keep getting in the Socceroo squad because he can compete for aerial balls? And I'm using air quotes right now. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, genuinely, I do believe the only reason why he's still got his spot is because he's out of the striking options that we have. He's probably our tallest, but at the, the I think the Japan game proves he's he's struggled, and it was against players that he probably should have had an edge over physically, and he still couldn't do it. At the end of the day, I don't want to be disrespectful to Mitchuk because that he has proved in the past there was a stage in our qualification process where he was doing well, but when it came to the big games and when it came to players that are smart enough to go, okay, this guy, even though he's bigger than me physically, I'm going to be smarter than him. Which he struggled. And it, I don't know if it's a thing of how Graham Arnold's set up where it's like, yep, Mitch Duke's the best person for what I'm trying to do. But if that's the case, we've probably got to change the way we use that striker. I think the way we use McLaren against the UAE was really good. And I think if we stick to doing something like that, the way McLaren kind of dropped in, got away from the centre-backs, came a little bit deeper and started linking the midfield, linking the wingers and got them closer to the goal, I thought that was really good. But Mitch Duke, it's not working at the moment. It's, it really isn't. Yeah, see, I think, I think I'll think i throw you in a second, Sean uh, M, but I think with McLaren, for me, it's been strange. I, I honestly think he kind of, Arnold seemed to maybe buy into the fact that McLaren maybe doesn't turn up in big games and, and some of the stuff that we've been saying and, and people have been saying in the public about him. And it seemed like he lost faith in him in these, in these couple of games. It, that, that's what I kind of felt watching it. And, but with McLaren, I think there might be something there in the fact is if Australia are going to play a bit more on the counter and have less of the ball in this World Cup, which is, which is highly likely uh, against these teams, then if you are going to go longer at times you have to be strategic about them in the sense that, you know, put that ball in between a center back and a fullback for a McLaren to go run onto it. And then maybe we can win a free kick, blah, 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 etc. move up the pitch, something like that. But when the long balls are being played into Mitch Duke and he's got two center backs, you know, right there, you know, it's not going to happen. So that's where the frustration 
is being is being borne out. But uh, Shannon, yeah, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, Graham Arnold's kind of stated in the past a couple of times he likes his strikers to all be different and all offer something different. And that's true. Like Mitch Duke, Jamie McLaren, very different players. Bruno Fornaroli, Taggart, all quite different. But the thing I've sort of noticed is it doesn't really matter who we have as that number nine, even if we're playing Lecky there, if we played Fornaroli. I don't think the Socceroos... And this is an issue that's not just Graham Arnold. I don't think the Socceroos really know how to use a number nine, mm. except for Timmy Cahill, because I can't remember any player who's sort of had real success in the big games. I'm not talking against like Chinese Taipei and stuff, where those are the big games. <laughs> where, where we've had a striker that's been able to really get in the game, let alone make a huge difference. So I don't really know how we can best utilize someone like Jamie McLaren or. Mitch Duke, if you want to go for him, or Bruno Fornaroli, or whoever, I just don't know the answer. Yeah, it, mm, that's an interesting point. So it's almost as if they've been so used to playing with a Cahill type, or even Josh Kennedy, if you want to throw someone like that in there of crossing the ball in and stuff. That and that, yeah, that has been maybe one of the issues with this team is too much crossing and and such poor crossing that, and there's no options and you know cross repelled, cross repelled. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, and it goes on and on. I think one thing that helps this team, and you mentioned Irvine before, and I think he's important in the sense that he will break into the box. So at least that gives them another option to cover the fact that maybe there is no nine. But um, the more concerning thing for me, and we might touch on this later with just the squad's position, but who in five months is going to be in that number nine role? You know, who, who can you tell me right now who's going to be starting come France? And Paget. Is Taggart going to? Yeah, Taggart. that's what I mean. Taggart, if he's, if he's, if he's, he's fit, capital. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's the problem. He's our best overall striker. He ticks all the boxes. Yeah. But I don't think his whole career, he's really had pretty much a season where he's been 100% yeah. fit. And that's frustrating because mm. you can't build a team around a striker that you can't rely on being fit and ready. Mm. Yeah, Cody. Can yeah. I just. Yeah, well, um, Cody. No, Cody, Cody first. Well, look, you're talking he hasn't had a season where he's fit, but at the end of the day, World Cup's coming up. As long as he's fit for that month, we can build a team around him for that period. We're looking really good. I think people True. sometimes yeah. think he's playing overseas. Mm. We don't see him week in, week out how good he can really be because it wasn't long ago where he was, it was a, he won the Golden Boot. Was it the K League? Yeah, we would sue on. Yeah. That, that period would sue on where he was basically scoring a goal a week and some of the goals he was scoring as well look he's he's had that was only two years ago as well where he was just just banging goals in for fun so two years is a long time in football we know that he would be i would i, I mentioned this again in the last pod but i was going through tags stats throughout his career and shannon's right if he had actually stayed fit he might have been able to be this guy who actually scored 10 and 15 every single season no matter where he's playing and if that was the case then He's a lock. He's a lock for this number nine role. You know, it's not, it's not hard, really. If there, there could be an occasion here where some someone just, you know, comes comes firing out of the blocks in the next A League season, which I'd imagine it would be October, early October, yeah. and could make a very late claim to um <laughs> to Shannon's got a tag it jersey up right now. So there you go. But uh yeah, and can make a very late claim to uh, to get in the squad, but uh, or or maybe we'll see uh, another Uruguayan uh, nationalized. Yeah, can I just go on with that? I think 
who he takes from the A League is probably already decided. Can, can we nationalize? Said, can we nationalize Previc? Is that possible? Or... <laughs> but that's the thing. It's well, I don't think anyone's going to have time in the A League to prove that because starts mm. October. That's I right. think squad will have to be out at some stage of October. So mm. I think the Tilios he already has a good idea of who's coming from the A League. But for me, does Graham Arnold know what he's number nine? What he, what he wants his number nine to be, because first of all we play all sorts of different players there. Second of all, we've had this Jason Cummings conversation: is he going to make the squad? And Graham Arnold, when asked why he didn't include him, he said, "Oh, he's a very similar player to Jamie McLaren." Are we watching the same Jason Cummings? Because he's not. He's not Jamie McLaren. You know, it's apples and oranges. I mean, so Cumming, me, Cummings isn't a. He's not a bad shout, is he? Yeah, I'll take him. And I think, I don't know if you want to take him in the World Cup. I don't think he will. I don't think he's going to debut him in the World Cup. But Bruno, Bruno gets called up and it seems that was it. You know, he's not in this squad. Mm. So for me, the first thing Graham Arnold needs to figure out is who does he want up there when the game starts? If that's not working, who comes on? And after you figure out who you're playing, how do you play to their strengths? You know, are you going to belong to them? Are you going to work to the midfield? Are you going to just ignore the midfield like you did for 120 minutes in the previous game? Because it gets lost because we won. We don't talk about it because our midfield was, yeah, we could defend, but with the ball, we didn't want the ball there, number one. Number two, as I told you before the recording, Christian, I have never in my life seen a coach that has gone 120 minutes without making a midfield sub subbing his goalkeeper for a midfield. I have never seen it in my life. I think I think Graham Arnold could save you from an oncoming train going like 300 Ks an hour and he still can't do anything right in your book. <laughs> he can and congratulations. He's done fantastic. You know, it's a great achievement making it. But when you watch this game for 120 minutes and your midfields, look at the touches that midfielders yeah, have. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I the, just don't know how you don't touch that midfield. And if we lost, we'd be ripping him apart. Yeah, but I think the he he obviously saved one sub up his sleeve to obviously do the red man thing. So there was yeah. that. The other subs, Mabil, Mabil before McGree, I felt was interesting. I, I would have gone, I would have gone Riley, maybe. I thought Tilio, I actually thought Mabil was decent when he came on. Yeah. He, he did Tilio, a couple of good things. Though, yeah. you know, you've got Tilio Tilio, as well. Got yeah. Yeah. Dennis Genro, who just got promoted into League One. You know, you it's not like you have scrubs on the bench who cannot play. And these are, you know, we go into these games and we say, this is what I'm writing about now, that we don't have the cattle. Well, the cattle's there, but you're not really utilizing it. You're not actually letting us see or giving an opportunity to show that they are good enough. That's my frustration. Well, one one man he did give the opportunity to, and this guy just took it unbelievably well in both games. I mentioned him before, but Kai Rolls. I mean, the the composure in front of 12,000 screaming Peruvians. There's a long ball comes over the top. I remember this play. Long ball came over the top. Lapadula was just chasing him from behind. And you're just thinking, oh my God, you know, he might step in front of him, win the ball. And he's through one-on-one with Ryan. And Rolls just shields him off. No worries. Back to Ryan. Start again. And then we keep the ball. And mm-hmm. it's just little things like that that I see. And, uh, and, yeah. and you know what I mean? And it's just like, wow. Like this but, guy is like, you know, he's 
as as much as he's been good in the A League, at the end of the day, he has been playing two years of only A League football, and yet he's been mm-hmm. thrown into a game against Peru, against you know, Lapadula. Yeah, mm-hmm. one sec, one uh, yeah. one sec, Antonis. Yeah, against a Lapadula. You know, Lapadula. It's not like a world class striker or anything like that. But he's had some good years in Italy. He scores goals here and there. Blah blah blah. You know, he's no he's no scrub by any means. So. Look, I thought he was. I thought he's fantastic, and I wonder if Arnold has stumbled across something here with this right roles partnership as well. Mm-hmm. But now, how much better will a car roles be for this experience? Like he's had those two cutthroat games. That's where the next players are going to come from. They're not going yeah. to be there because they played twenty minutes against. To use again the Chinese Taipei example, you know, that's where they're going to. Be to get that reputation that anyone I woke up and watched, and I know you know this guy is quite decent. That's and for that experience, it's going to be a lot better for it. And it's a shame that it took our two center backs being unavailable for that to happen for a young player to get a chance, yeah. And then I guess he's going to be, yeah, thrown in again. You'd imagine, hopefully, he's going to be starting most games when he moves to Hearts, Sainsbury. In the Socceroos, I hope um, Suter and Sainsbury are still to come back for the Socceroos. Yeah, so, yeah, but yeah, of course. in Hearts, hopefully, yes. But even with roles, yeah, going to Hearts now, he'll play mm. Edinburgh Derbies against Hibs, he'll play Celtic, he'll Huge. play Rangers. So, yeah, you know, the experience will only add up and stuff. So, he, he's a guy who, if he can keep fit and keep going the way he's going, could again stay in that squad come World Cup time. But we will we'll take a short break now and then when we come back i want to have a brief discussion about peru okay so we're back um and we'll just have a quick discussion about peru because i said it from the top i i was bewildered at the way they approach this game the stuff in terms of taking 20 seconds to take goal kicks uh the non-existent pressure when australia had the ball which i felt was bizarre i just i just thought when there were times when Moy was on the ball and I'm just thinking, haven't you done your homework on this guy? Like, like, you know, this is what he does. He, he likes taking touch on the ball. He likes to see the pitch when he receives it. This is what he does. And there was no sorts of sort of pressure. Um, and I just didn't, yeah, like I said, the 20 seconds taking goal kicks when you've got, you're basically the home team, which they were in this game, 12,000 fans get the game going quickly. You know, get the game going quickly, make it fast-paced, make it feel like Australia have got the weight of the world against them. And they just they just didn't. And I was I was bemused, uh, Shannon. Yeah, I, I don't know if you boys remember too much when we first started getting into Asia and particularly playing in the Middle East. We struggled against a lot of teams we should have beaten, like Jordan, no disrespect. I think we lost to them three or four times all these teams, we just couldn't play in the Middle East. We were displacing passes, this and that, because the heat and the humidity mm. is just unreal. And I think that's the reason we won the match because when we started having these poor results in the Middle East, we started training in the UAE. We had hubs there. We played a lot more games there. Whereas Peru, they didn't even have their preparation in Qatar. They had their preparation in Spain, they, I think they come to Qatar about two or three days before the match. That's true. Although we had we had um we had Diego on here on the last pod. He did say some of them had individually been doing some work, and they did have a couple of players who do play in Saudi Arabia. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It does take a while to 
to get used to these types of conditions. But some of the, I remember there was, couldn't remember who it was. One of the center backs playing out to the left back and it's just a simple pass. And he's just hit it like two steps ahead of him. And Gareca was like just losing his crap on the sidelines. And I was like, yeah, it's just, just bizarre. Yeah. They, yeah, for me, they just looked tired. And I think they didn't expect Australia to come out as hard as what we did because mm. I, I don't know if it was the players as well, but certainly the media, you know, they were making fun of us. They thought, you know, easy beats. And it kind of reminded me of Uruguay in 2005 when... I, I didn't Uruguay think it was that intense. I didn't think it was as intense. Like, it's not like you had, you know, Lapadula coming out and saying, we have a divine right to, to, mm. to make the World He's Cup. He's Italian <laughs> anyways. Well, <laughs> he doesn't get to talk. To, to be fair, Peru can't say they have a divine right to make the World Cup over us because now we've made one more World Cup than them. So there you go. <laughs> it's 6-5. So uh, that. we've been there at the last five. They were only at the last one. Well, that's that's right. So, you know, um, I've, you know up those... I've never seen Peru at the World Cup. Until the last one. <laughs> yeah. So the, all those Peruvian haters just, you know, shush. Okay. Um, so, yeah. But uh, yeah, like I think that was their worst performance. So I actually had a look. So they had one game where they lost one nil to Bolivia, who would be considered a lesser side to Peru in, in South American circles. And I think Bolivia actually had um, a player sent off in that game as well. And yet they lost. So that might have been their worst. But to me, this felt this felt real bad uh, from, from their point of view. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to say was um, with Nathaniel Atkinson, look, I thought, I think Nathaniel Atkinson has done a decent enough job in both games. Again, another one who's kind of thrown into it, this, that, and the other. What I will say, though, is he was definitely nervous and he definitely had that kind of deer-in-the-headlights sort of look about him. And yet Peru didn't... They just didn't... They had so many one-on-one opportunities in that second half on that left-hand side. And I was just thinking, okay, he's going to take him on. Okay, he's going to take him on. They're going to try and get a cross in, try and get a cut back, this, that, and the other. And they just didn't. They, they It was almost like they were settling for these deep crosses as opposed to, no, let's try and combine, get him behind this guy because, because he's a young guy and, and he might be nervous. So, uh, yeah, that, that was bizarre for me. Antonis, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's important to remember, though, who they were missing. They were missing probably one of the main creative threats, Yotun, who would have played on the left mm. side of the midfield, who would have been going downhill on Atkinson, basically. And mm. with him on the pitch, it actually releases a lot of the creative strain on Cueva as well. Mm. So, and then Cueva... I remember reading in the build-up that he was going to be the player, that everything would come through him. But I don't know, he felt a bit more constrained without having someone to help him out. And I think, you know, if Jotun's playing, and I think he was the one that scored in the last game to actually help them pip Chile to the qualifier spot to play us. Without having that extra creative player there, it actually didn't help them. It felt like something was missing and they couldn't, they were finding it hard to create opportunities just like us midfield. And it really Atkinson stay on the field because if he was out there on the wing, I don't know how Atkinson would fit with that yellow for a whole half. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh I'll just make one more point and then we've got to let we've got to let Sean and go. But um with Atkinson, I will say that Socceroos did one key thing where whenever he did get in those one-on-one scenarios, I felt Boyle immediately recognized it and straight away I got to track back and get back in and help. So that was good to see 
kind of a bit of a defensive adjustment I felt from the UAE game. But Shannon, any last thoughts from you? And then, uh, and then we'll let you go. Uh, I just want to say come Qatar, November, whenever the World Cup is, we're going to win the thing. We're going to win every single match. <laughs> We've got the conditions on our side. I want, Redman, I want Redman starting. I want... <laughs> Kylian Mbappe's not ready. Redman, Cummings, just a complete meme team and we'll just sweep the whole yeah, tournament. There's going to be like... I, I'm going to... If we beat France, there's going to be like Kyrol's memes where it's like Kyrol's emptying his pockets today and it's like Benzema and Pape and then like Wallet and Keys. But uh, yeah. Big <laughs> like, we're going to peak A-League ourselves to the World yeah. Cup. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll, uh, we'll take one more very quick break. Uh, we'll let Sean go and then we'll come back and uh, Antonis and Cody will finish with some stuff. Uh, just some big questions about soccer. Okay. So we're now just here with Antonis and Cody. Let's finish off with some, some big questions around the Socceroos team looking forward now. So this is... This is a this is an interesting one, and we were just talking about this man off air. Graham Arnold, Antonis. Oh, actually, or should I ask this question to Cody? I don't know. <laughs> What's the question? Pick your poison. <laughs> All right, you know what? Both you can answer. Does Arnold still take us to Qatar? And wait one second. Or <laughs> do you now use the opportunity to get a more internationally experienced coach? Circa Van Marwijk 2019-2018 and bring in someone like that and go get the best out of this squad for a month. Cody? I think Arnold should stay on for the World Cup if I'm being completely honest. I can tell Antonis is going to disagree with me on this one. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but um, look, I'm probably for one of two reasons. One being if we've only got like, realistically a month to prepare, I reckon we're only going to have those New Zealand friendlies before the World Cup. Mm. It didn't work in 2018 with Van Marwijk. Personally, I we played with full, it was decent football what we played in, the, in that World Cup, but I think we were missing that kind of extra motivation, that spark that someone like Foster Cogley brought to the side, that belief that we that us as Australians could go and take on the world. I think in those in that World Cup um, in that World Cup campaign. We were a little bit conservative as much as it worked at times. It was almost like, yeah, we're going to play knowing that we're not as good as these guys. Whereas I think Arnold could actually, like I said before, he's an excellent motivator. And I think he can instill a belief in us where we're going, that we can go and actually give these guys a game. And I think that's something I'd love to see. At the end of the day, we have no expectation on us. Go hell for leather against France, I reckon. Yeah, these. it seems like Australian players respond better to an Australian manager. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And I think we've had this debate before where we're like, get international manager in because we don't have enough good Australian managers, which might be true, but the dynamics shift when you do that. So, and and you're right, I think under Van Marwijk, didn't seem like there was the same sort of connection because he was basically just thrown in and told, look, you know, Andrew's leaving us, so we're going to appoint you and depending on how you go at the World Cup, we might extend you longer, but really we knew about Van like what he was. He was like a one-tournament sort of guy. That's what he had done with Saudi Arabia. I think he had a brief stint with the UAEs and this, that, and the other, yeah. So With Van Marwijk as well, you saw in that World Cup, he only trusted 14 or 15 players to take the field. Mm. What sort of belief in the squad is that? 
Yeah. Yeah. And Titus, um, do, do you want to answer this question or are things going to get white? Yes, uh, no, I'd love to. Because as I said before, like as much as I was against Arnie getting the job in the first place, because it's not his first time having this job. Let's remember the last time he had it. We didn't, we backed him when things got tough, when it didn't look likely. Why would we not back him now where he got us to this place? He's got us there. Back him. You hire someone for a World Cup cycle, you back their vision, follow the vision through. You know, let's see where he takes us. We might go out in the groups as expected. We might go further. Who knows? As you said, one thing about him, he's a motivator. You can see the players really like him as a person, which is fantastic. Hopefully, we can translate that to some points in the World Cup. And the issue when you bring in a Bert Van Marwijk is you might end up with Andrew Naboot up front for three games. Which... He, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got like a hot take that he wasn't that bad until he got the shoulder injury. He wasn't that he bad. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't that bad, but like, is that where he's best utilized? <laughs> I don't think so. And then what Cody said is pretty accurate. You've got, yes, the 14, 15 players. At this stage, it's way too late and it's a shorter space than a usual break between qualification and World Cup. Normally, you've got a bit longer. It's very quick. So I don't know about how I feel about bringing a complete outside to get familiar with the team, with the system, with the players. The guy's gotten us there. You know, back him. You've chosen your poison. Let's back him and see how far you can take us. You've poisoned like I said, I will not because everything <laughs> is valid. Everything is valid. And I love it. Congratulations. We really, 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 really needed to make this World Cup. And I'm internally grateful we made it. But and cop criticism, your cop criticism too. Yeah. No, 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 no. He, yeah. Look, he, he is spot on. He is. <laughs> Antonis is probably biased, right? But look, it's all right. You know, I'm not right. biased. I'm not. <laughs> Robbie Slate is biased. Robbie Slate is biased. I am just calling it as I see it. Yeah. Look, and uh, look, we do need more of that. I think we need more of that. We need a bit more and we need scrutiny. You know, we need scrutiny. So I think he's right. You know, each, every manager should be held to the right standard, uh, to the same standard. So no problem. And the um, Christian, you know, yeah. we've talked about Calvin as well. Like, you know that. Yeah, we've talked my, about our mate Carl. Yeah, we've my, talked about him a lot. My own club doesn't escape scrutiny so it's anything, that's what you see if anything my own club gets even more scrutiny oh, exactly <laughs> that's it isn't it so yeah but um okay question two how much do you see this squad improving from now till till game one till november not at all and I don't think that's the that's nothing against Graham Arnold. That's nothing against the players. But I think there's just no time to improve. Really, we're gonna have two friendlies and then we're playing. Like, what, what oh, no, you... I mean more. I mean more on an individual level. Do you see any guy taking like a a, a small step from here till November? Any guy who's gonna you know have a good preseason start the European season, which will start in August for some of these guys. So that's you know it's three months. Maybe Atkinson um, and Rolls. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's what I mean. So maybe those guys. But I guess what I'm circling around here is we're still going to have these same conversations around the number nine come November, 100%. Yeah. Can I just, uh, yeah. yeah um, we've had four years to come up with these solutions, you know? It's 
it's yeah, I'll go for the lack of a better I'm a teacher so I'm going to use this example when you have this all these weeks these months to do an assignment and you leave it all till the last couple of days that, that's what I'm doing right now that's what I'm exactly. doing as we speak well, this so, yeah. is this is where we're at you know we talk about where we're at at the moment why someone like Carol's just I'm not saying Carol's was ready years ago because obviously he wasn't but why haven't these players been gradually been integrated over the window that's the whole concept to build to the world cup it just feels like we're here now let's see how we go and it might work out for us we've got some good experienced players but i'd like to see more of a balance personally but you know we'll see how we go yeah Cody. yeah i think if there is two areas that we could improve on between now and then it's going to completely contradict what i just said before but um if Suda can get back into the side i think that'll be a bit of a boost at the end of the day, yeah, that those that run of victories we had in the early stages of qualification was with him, and also it'd be interesting to see if Aaron Moy gets regular football in the lead up to the World Cup as well. And and I guess there's the Tom Rogic situation. What's going to happen there? What moves are you going to get? What game times are you going to see? This, that, and the other. So, that yeah, there's still some question marks, even even five months out, and I guess they'll be revealed over time, but. Last one, then this this kind of leads nicely from that last one. Then who can you say right now is he is a lock for the starting eleven against France? Like right now, I can just say, provided if he's fit, outside like Matt Ryan, this guy's going to start. And Christich. the silent the silence is telling, by the way. Aiden Christich, as um, the Peruvian television told us, he's our best yeah. player. You know, yeah, the left, the left footer from Frankfurt. Yeah, exactly. And well, debatable if he's from Frankfurt because you don't see him there much, as we've talked about. <laughs> but you know, we'd love to see him get some more game time. I'd love to see him more integrated in the system, actually being used. But he's by far and away our best player. And please, 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 no one ever say we might not come up with it by a lot of the people that are just jumping off of the campaign saying why isn't the goalkeeper that got us this starting please <laughs> please don't talk about that <laughs> i think if there's one person that i'd actually i don't know i'd say they're a lot but for me they would be uh martin boyle I oh yeah 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 100 confidence what he brings to the side especially mm. in the uae game was i think in the uae game he was by far our best player yeah, well, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this when uh, Matt Ian and I had discussion about the UAE game, but what was funny about, I felt the second goal, uh, not second goal, wait, sorry, the first goal, yeah, the Irvine goal, was when he got, when he got the ball, boy, the attack kind of broke down and then eventually Hrustich found him and it was almost like Atkinson was about to overlap but Boyle and Boyle had two defenders near him, and he was like, Yeah, you know what? You're going to take way too long. So, fuck this. I'm just going to turn and then just just dribble past these two guys and then cross it in. All right. You know, fuck it. I'll do it myself, sort of thing. So, <laughs> I found that interesting. Look, the guy's pace is just electric. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. It was the first half. Was there a slight penalty shout? Just thinking about the game where Boyle went in between those two Peruvian defenders and then yes. the guy came crunching it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was a penalty, but for me, it was was inside, outside the box. mm, But mm. it was definitely a foul there. Definitely Mm. a foul. I mean, his pace, yeah. 
his pace that's what he's provided. His pace is mm. an asset that we can get behind, really. I mean, it's not something that anyone else in our squad has. And we don't have much of that, I was about to say. We've got a lot of, yep, yeah, your problem now. No, it's your problem now. It's your problem now. You need some of those players. That, and Peru had that, especially one player that kept going at it, Advin Kula in right back. Every time he got it, he just said, yeah, I'm coming out again. What are you going to do about it? And he got close to doing something meaningful a few times. But you need that intent there that we are lacking at times. And yeah. at the end of the day, you're talking Martin Boyle. He didn't grow up in Australia's youth system. He went through Scotland. We basically naturalised it. Not a coincidence. But, um, at the end of the day, you don't go scouting around the world for people that have Australian backgrounds just for them to be like everyone, everything else we have. We're looking for something different. And he provides something completely different for us. Yeah, and the only guy who would be somewhat similar if he was at his peak, I guess, would be Mabil with, with the speed and similar from that point of view. But I just, something about Mabil when I watch him now, I, I almost feel like he's lost a yard. It, it's strange. It, it just doesn't seem... Like that, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it just I doesn't think, seem like yeah. it's the same explosiveness, you know? Yeah. I think we were a bit spoiled because we saw him break through as this oh, kid yeah. that was just going right at it. And we're yeah. seeing him like, I don't know if he's... Lost, I don't think he's lost a step, but I think he's realized like I shouldn't always be going at 100%. <laughs> and he got like his top five league move. He's going to be playing in the Spain in La Liga next year for Cadiz. So mm. that's a huge move because I don't know when the last time we had a soccer playing in Spain. Uh, oh, Ma- Matt Ryan. Although, actually, uh, sorry. still playing. Yeah, playing. Sorry, sorry. yeah, Spain. exactly. Sorry, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan doesn't play in Spain. He's back Yeah, I forgot. No, it was in Valencia as well. So, yeah. with the Gary Neville disaster machine. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, all right. Uh, yeah. Boyle as well. I think the difference between Boyle to Medill is Boyle is a lot more direct. And I think that yeah. suits Graham Arnold to a T as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. He's always like those sort of players. You think of... Um, yeah, Philip Olosko, just thinking to the Sydney teams. Um, who else? Who else? I'm trying to... Mark Yanko. No, in terms, of, in terms of wingers. In terms wingers. of wingers. Like, oh, um, Bernie, Bernie Abini. He always loved um, Bernie Mirajewski. Yeah, Mirajewski, although he was more of a number 10. He always loved yeah. Bernie Abini, didn't he? Graham Arnold. And that, I guess that would be yeah. when Bernie Abini was in his prime. Obviously, he's, he's so far washed. It's not even funny now. But... Um, yeah, any any final thoughts on uh, on the last three days and and Australia qualifying before we go? Um, not the last three days, but as I mentioned previously, that now with the expanded World Cup coming, we should never ever be in a situation like this again. We're going to have eight qualifying spots. We should be able to grab one of the four from our group. So. The last few campaigns are past my been Oh, at least win the World Cup. World Cup should be a given now. From now on, we need to start actually setting some proper expectations for us. We're going to be there. Can you make a difference? Can you be more than just the fourth team in the group? That's 100%. what I want to see in the future. Actually change the narrative that you're not this battling team, but you're the team that's sadly to battle against. That's right. That's right. I. I always, you know, I've had conversations with Leo about this before. Um, with the Ange era, Ange was all about 
we're not just making the World Cup anymore. We're going there and we're going to do something and we're going to show ourselves that we can play football in this country. So although this was a bizarre run and that kind of played in the fact that why the celebrations have, have gone on the way they have, which is fair enough, and linked to the fact that the game needed this, we, we can't deny that. So I understand the praise for Arnold and, and, and the what a great achievement, this, that, and the other, but really it shouldn't be considered an achievement anymore. This is now five in a row. This is five in a row. So we can do it. No problem now. We know we can make the World Cup. We know we can do that. Now, okay, let's go make some noise. Let's go make some noise in guitar and actually and actually do something meaningful. Uh, and and not not come back with regrets. I think that's that's the other thing. I, you know, every World Cup that Australia have been to, above obviously 1974, because that was that was a bit different, but you think of 2006, you know, we regret Lucas Neal's tackle, which was probably a dive. But anyway, you think you think 2010, we regret um, not not finding a way to beat Ghana. Although, again, you could say some bullshit refereeing with the Harry Kill send-off. In 2014, we regret the Netherlands game and not finding a way to win that. 2018, we probably regret the France and Denmark games and the Denmark game in particular, which we definitely should have won we're much better so that would be my thing is is leave no regrets and uh and just just try and play good football and win the games simple as that yeah cody thank you the last three days what's probably the most special thing about qualifying for this world cup is this is the first time we've had absolutely zero members from what's perceived as the golden generation after the last World Cup cycle, we've lost Cahill, we've lost Milligan, we've lost Yednak. They're three massive players. And I think it was as much as no one enjoyed that Australia, that um, the Australian article about who are these blokes, is the sentiment of there's no more of that golden generation. Well, this is yeah, see, see, my take. So, yeah, my take on that on that article, if you just want to give a little bit of a give a little bit of five seconds on that, was obviously the way the guy wrote it was like disgusting you know it's he didn't watch the game completely watch the game yeah as simple as that completely incorrect tone completely uneducated in the game this that and the other so absolutely but funnily enough when you actually really look at it it's like you know is he is he really that wrong (laughs) in terms of like you know you've got you know a, a guy who plays on the right wing who's Scottish nationalized and plays his football for Alpha Saley in Saudi Arabia. Like what I'm saying is this is a very obscurely made team. You've got Awa Mabil, who's this Kenyan born now Australian who, you know, was playing in Denmark. Now he plays in Spain. You know, it's always bizarre pathways in it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I just add, but people like him, uh, not Mabil, the guy that wrote the article, uh, the reason why the who are these guys is even a valid point. Because what a story is that? You know, this random Scott that's got some Aussie in him has decided, you know what? I want to represent this country. This guy that was in the refugee camp has come up, grown up in this country of the second opportunity and represented his country. And he still goes back home and give this, these are great stories. And something we have that other countries don't have is all these are coming together and somehow they've made 
five World Cups running. You know, it's its own beauty that we don't have. And can I say, to Cody's point, we don't have any of the golden generation left, but we have their coach from right after the World Cup left. Don't forget. (laughs) There's still some of it in there. Not quite golden, but close enough. That's what I mean. Like, without, like, this is the first time we haven't had any of those members from the golden generation. And I think this was their chance for them, as much as people may not know them, people know who they are now. People know who Andrew Redman is. People know who Martin Boyle is. People know who Aiden Hustich is. This is their chance to make a name for themselves. Now people know them, and now people are going to follow them going forward. And I think if the FA capitalise on this properly, we could be in for a good next few years with the soccer group because after that, we still have the likes of Aluk Walter come through. Um, yeah. The boy who's mm. getting um, game time in. Well, not, he's been injured for a little while, but he's broken. There is, yeah. To... Yeah, I just... It's an interesting point. One last thing. We've spoken a lot this season on in public forums about grassroots development, blah, blah, this, that, and the other. You know, we've got no one who's coming through, this, that, and the other. What, what are we doing with this? What are we doing with that? Sometimes when you get to the peak of you look at these things, you get to the peak of frustration around this, maybe you gloss over the fact that, well, funnily enough, look at all these players who are going to Europe now from the A-League. You know, it is, it is you, can't, you can't deny that. There are a lot of guys who are at least, and when you always talk about kind of player development, at least it's, okay, well, even if, if 20 guys go to Europe, uh, this transfer window from Australia, let's just say for argument's sake, well, at least four of those guys are going to be playing regular football come the end of the season. You know, it's, it's always, it always, the percentages are always going to give. You're always going to get someone out of it. So yeah. I think one of the frustrations maybe around the development and stuff is that we don't see these guys going there to begin with in recent years. And then the ones we have of just the limited ones that have, well, because there's only a few of them, they just come back straight away or, or they don't get game time, this and the other. So I am there's part of me which of course has always been what are we doing you know who's coming through i'm losing faith blah 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 but then there's the other part which is well think about where tilio could be in five years think about where roles could be in five years think about atkinson you know this that and the other so exactly it might be a case of let's be patient and let's see or we're all right the whole time i don't know yeah yeah can i just add that I think obviously COVID's had an awful effect. Antonis, on Antonis, football. you you can talk as much as you like on this podcast. You don't have to. Ask. It's all good now. <laughs> um, I'm a teacher. I've got my structures and everything. <laughs> um, it's spent, It's all oh, COVID was awful for the finance of the game. But one good thing it had it made a few clubs in Australia reconsider. Wait a second, is this how we're running our club? We need to make money here. And how do you make money? You produce. You you sell and you have the next player ready. And clubs like the Central Coast, like United, like Perth is starting to do now, are figuring that out. That, yep, we are at the bottom of the food chain. We need to produce, we need to send off, and we need to have the next one ready, which is what needs to happen. That's how you, and not everyone's going to go there and play 90 minutes on the first day. You saw Awema Bill and Lecky, for example. They didn't start playing 90 minutes when they were there. It took them years to work into it. And these next couple of years can be huge for Australia if the FA actually deals with them properly. We've made the World Cup. We're hosting a World Cup. We have a national second division in the making. We've got the Asian Cup again in a couple of years. These are all huge opportunities. 
and we can't let them slide. We need to maximize every single one of them. And who knows we are we are in a decade from now talking. You know, it can have great effects or they could be really, really like go missing if we don't capitalize on them. So it's a huge couple of years. And all of this optimism is because of one man. Andrew, Grey Wiggle, Red Man. I prefer Andrew, not to speak. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you very much. <laughs> You know, well done. Um, as I said before, I've officially made your celebration my <laughs> my my profile picture on all on all social media platforms. So and that, the... and that will that that will that will stay up. You know, unless unless something else happens, that'll probably stay up indefinitely. So not yeah. the front page football logo. No, not not quite yet. Not quite yet. Although maybe maybe we can find a way to incorporate it. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> they get it in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> yeah. So. Um, all right, uh, I think I think we'll wrap it up. It's about well, it's ten o'clock where I am right now, and uh, I'm a I'm an eleven o'clock get to bed kind of guy. Yeah. So uh, might uh, might have to wrap this one and up. Just finally, can I just say how much more fun this was after a win? Could you imagine this chat if we lost? <laughs> yeah, and we I'll say this now: we were going to do this regardless of win or loss. Yeah. I, I, I stand so by, I stand just by for that, Graham Arnold. Andrew Redman, everyone involved in the South I will say this, I will say this again. <laughs> Graham Arnold and Andrew Redman, if you're listening to this podcast, which you probably aren't, but if you are, right? <laughs> had you had you lost that game after making that decision, I would have come onto this podcast and the ranting and the abuse would have been like out of control. <laughs> Just out of control. Anyway. Uh, All right. In the well, day uh, with papers, you live and die by your decision and yeah. I've got it right. I know, I know, you got it right. You got it right. Let's see how many more he gets right. Uh, if it looks stupid and it works, November. it goes. If it looks stupid and it works, it's not stupid. Pretty much, pretty much. All right, uh, that's going to do it for the podcast. Um, Antonis, Cody, and Sharnen from earlier. Thanks for joining me for this one, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, depending on uh, you know how much motivation I have. No, 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 it'll be all right. I'll. Uh, I'll get this up. I'll get this up. No worries. All good. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'm thinking with the podcast, just letting everyone know, we'll we'll probably record them maybe Sunday nights and Thursday nights. That will be our two time slots uh, for for the podcast. So just so you know, so expect them to be up either Fridays, Saturdays or or Mondays, Tuesdays. So that's that's what we're probably thinking with two a week. So uh, that's it from me. And from Cody and Antonis as well, and Shannon from earlier. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Or, sorry, you can listen to us in the next one. That probably makes a bit more sense. Catch you next time.